Hello and welcome once again to episode 97 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing our code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So as you work more and more on Teams, you start to get an idea of how to plan out an app. So we figured we'd share some of the techniques for organizing tickets and planning your projects. Uh, to get us started though, Spencer, can you please explain what on earth an epic and a story is? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so to preface this, I, I like am confused endlessly by Jira and their fancy schmancy terminology. So like I, I am actually relying on Spencer to explain this to me right now. Yeah, well, yeah, and honestly, like, my amount of experience is not that much. The only time that I've used Jira and, like, the Agile methodology is at my current job. Um, before then, I had seen Jira and basically thought of it as, like, a souped-up um, Trello, basically. And it is, but it's got... They're owned by the same just, company, right? Maybe. I think so. I don't actually know. Um, but it's got, you know, like just a stupid amount of customizability where you can set up automations and stuff. It's this whole thing. But the agile methodology is just this way of going through and planning a project. I think like the more traditional kind of development life cycle, they like would be like waterfalling it where it's kind of like fairly segmented out into like the design team and the development team. And it, it's kind of, you, there's not a lot of communication between the two and i think kind of the point as i understand it of agile is kind of to bring everyone together and have it be a little bit more involved where at any point in this process it's um there there's good communication and it's like that it's not like that can't happen without it but i think that's the overarching goal if i understand it right so Going back to Dimitri's question of, of what is an epic and what is a story, an epic is sort of like an overarching, I guess, feature or goal, I think, is probably the best way that I can explain it. So, like, um, a, a sort of a larger uh, kind of goal, um, I'm trying to think of, like, a, a decent example, like... Uh, like in, adding a brand new feature to... Yeah, like... will take months to develop kind of thing. Yeah, like something large like that, you know, like for a, a larger like point release or maybe not even a point release, but like a larger. Yeah. So one that like I worked on was like that number pad and that took me, I can't remember how long, uh, a month or two or something, but that was large enough that it was like, it's this one feature, but there's a lot to it. And so what happens is then it gets broken down into stories or tasks essentially that are smaller kind of bite-sized things that you could like realistically uh, accomplish in a given amount of time and then these stories have things called story points and it's basically how long you think it will take for you to accomplish the thing and uh kind of by extension the whole go through this whole agile process of like planning development um you know, uh, basically like testing, going through QA, making sure there's no bugs. And what if it comes back then, you know, kind of trying to account for this whole process of going from like planning development, QA, uh, review, you know, and, and basically you give it a mountain of points. And to me, the, the way that points are given seems a bit nebulous, uh, where it's like, 
one point is very easy you know it could be accomplished within a very short amount of time whether that's a few minutes or an hour or whatever three and then it goes to three points then five then eight then 13 like it's it's very weird and um it's a fibonacci sequence yeah it's (laughs) yeah so anyway that you know and that's where it's like i understand on a conceptual level but i don't understand the why per se of like why not just do like one, two, three, four, five? But I don't know. Um, let's see what else. Okay, so yeah, so that like so, that's so a story. Wait, so a story is an individual like task. Basically, like, and you're supposed to frame it in like the as as like the the famous Twitter account, the shit user story, uh, <laughs> will will do it. It's like as a whatever I want to do this, and so you sort of try to frame it in, in the, um, in, in that kind of thing where you're, you're, you're almost thinking about some persona that this feature is for. So like, um, as a user that wants more fine grain control, I want something better than a slider to, um, define values. And that's where this new number keypad comes from. Cause it's an easier way to do that. And so that's how you're like supposed to frame it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like this, I guess, smaller feature thing is kind of the way that I think about a story, whether that's right or not. <laughs> um, but along with that also is like, we just call them bugs. I think they're probably just tasks where it's sort of at the same scope or level of like a level story, but it's just like, yeah, it's just a straight up, you know. Bug. So you don't break up a story into like further tasks. It's just that is the most granular you, level. You could. Yeah, you could, um, and, and I think that's probably where it will vary on the team. Like we've we've tried to get better about breaking the stories themselves into sort of like the most atomic level. Where before, when I like started, creates a button, um, and then arrange the buttons in a grid, and then connect the actions of the button to the menu. Yeah, pad, and then maybe not that, like that atomic, right? but yeah, mm-hmm. pretty small. Like. Um, I, I'm working on like a, a project backup and restore UI feature thing. And so there's like this whole epic with a lot of that. But then the um, some of the stories are like, I want the ability to delete backups. I want the ability to uh, rename them. And, and those are all individual stories, if that makes sense. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. I think that makes a, a little more sense to my brain. So what I'm used to is... Like, you have projects, which are kind of, like, these all-encompassing, like, you're setting off to start a new project. Not necessarily a new app, but within that app kind of thing. Sure. Um, like, hey, we need that number pad. Um, and then we would set up things like milestones. Uh, and mm-hmm. milestones would be, like, once you reach a certain milestone, then you, you can uh, think of that part of it being complete. So maybe we have building the number pad, and then we have integrating it into this part of the app, and then... Uh, adding shortcuts uh, would be a next milestone. So uh, something that has user value, basically, that mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't necessarily ship the early milestones, but towards the later ones, you would you would release like after uh, building each one of them. Um, and yeah. then those milestones are subdivided into actual like tickets or issues, sure. uh, whatever you want to call them, tasks, bugs, uh, yeah. that essentially enumerate what you need to do for each of those milestones. So... Um, yeah, I don't know 
like which which is better to use this like project planning uh terminology or to use like this analogy of like telling a story um yeah it's i mean uh, to me when you're describing that it's like that sounds exactly like what we do from my perspective right mm-hmm. i uh they have you know like agile trainers and that will you know come to your company and give you the whole you know so they just start pushing on your back to make sure that you're like stretched out and more agile yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i mean can you backflip this... from this desk to that desk to switch <laughs> that's tasks when you're... effectively <laughs> oh no i'd be in trouble <laughs> i mean what you're explaining is like it sounds so much like what we do and you know uh i haven't had that training and so maybe i'm missing something and um, something that I know I've noticed the, from when I started to sort of where we're at now is, um, it, just like any, anything else, it can kind of, you can either use it too much or use it too little, if that makes sense. And I think something that we were doing, um, before when I started like two years ago was, um, the, the, I guess the whole point of these story points is you're you're supposed to be able to effectively um, estimate how many you can accomplish um, per s- sprint, right? Every like two or three week cycle. Um, and so what we would do is we would way overestimate and just be uh, not we wouldn't accomplish everything that we needed to. And so then that would like kind of bring morale down because we'd be like, ah, shoot, we didn't accomplish everything. And so at the start of the year, this year, we, we tried to really kind of find that happy medium of like, let's be better about estimating how many story points we can accomplish. And basically what it came down to is like slowing down uh, and not mm-hmm. trying to just barrel through getting all of these stories and bugs finished, but mm-hmm. really taking the time to do it effectively. And I think that's probably kind of this whole point is to one at any point in theory, you know, there's good communication and you're not kind of like passing things off um, in kind of this waterfall approach, but at any time you could, you know, I, I don't know. I guess there's supposed to be better communication, but the whole point I guess I'm trying to get across is we estimate like, Oh, you can, we, we as a development team can handle about X amount of story points per sprint. Let's do that. Taking into account, you know, uh, bugs and stories coming back from QA. They, you know, they they found some bug or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and really making sure that there's like quality over quantity type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess the terminology really informs how you think about it. Like, I never think about these user stories because nothing is named a story. Um, And therefore, like, I never have to do the mental gymnastics to frame it as a user story. Sure, Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's something that terminology gets you is uh, a different frame of mind. Like, maybe it'd be better for me to frame things as user stories. I'm not sure. Um, But... Uh, that is a consequence of me not like living and breathing that analogy uh, yeah. to to its intended purpose. Uh, that said, there are a few other terms uh, while we're here uh, that do get thrown around a lot. There's the backlog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the backlog is basically everything that has not been scheduled into anything else. 
Um, yep. And as it as its name entails, it collects over time um, and becomes something that you either declare uh, debt on and you switch to a different like task management system and you just don't migrate the backlog. <laughs> um, and then you feel free. Uh, but uh, that's that's a completely separate uh discussion from this yeah but yeah that's that's where tasks go to get dealt with later and not at all to die right yeah well okay so so yeah that brings up a good point which is yeah i mean we have this between it so in jira it just assigns at least the way we have it set up it may be different um again jira is like super customizable so the way that we have it set up is Regardless of if it's a story, whether it's a bug, we also have like internal improvements um, for just like code related things that don't really affect the functionality of the app. Um, but maybe it's like changing an enum to from an NS enum to like a Swift enum or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they all just have an like an LF for LumaFusion dash, whatever the number is. And we've we're almost at 10,000 uh, since the app started, which a lot of those we've you know there are stories and bugs that we have fixed and so it's not like we have this backlog of ten thousand things but also i know that the backlog is quite large and there are many thousands of things there so um one thing that we do to make sure that they don't go and die is we have uh what's called backlog grooming every wednesday which is we the entire company there's only um about 20 of us i think um development team qa design you know marketing everyone um actually i don't think the marketing team comes anyway most of the company at the very least comes and says uh we all get together we all jump on a zoom call the someone shares their screen and we go through jira and say are there any issues that you want to bring up that uh, would either be good to pull into the current sprint or more likely like basically groom or set to like the top of the backlog to say, these are the things that we want to focus on in the near future. Um, so that kind of informs what our next sprint or kind of the next small amount of time that we'll be working um, sort of does. So it's like, if there's a someone on the support team gets a bunch of emails and says like this bug is happening to you know 10 people then it's probably this fairly common bug then we they'll write up a bug for it and then in backlog grooming they bring it up and say you know this is happening to a bunch of people we should probably fix this that kind of gets put to the top and then the next uh sprint then it it, it goes into the or yeah next sprint planning it goes in and so you go with a fine-tooth comb and groom through the tickets and see which one's get pushed and which ones kind of get left behind go to die yeah basically so <laughs> sounds good and yeah that's that's kind of the way that we do it if that makes sense so so you did mention one more piece of terminology which i for, yeah. completely forgot exists uh but does exist and makes no no more sense than any of the others what's a sprint and why are you running yeah <laughs> a sprint is basically this um some given amount of time, which I think traditionally is probably two weeks, uh, depending on the amount of work we have to do and I, the alignment of the moon and whatever. Um, we It's either two or three weeks for us. It kind of just depends. Um, but it's basically, I mean, I guess the whole point of like Agile is like that it's the cycle. And so you're not really, well, I don't know. That's That's the way that they 
show it in diagrams and stuff. But um, this whole cycle of, I think it's sort of like uh, plan and discuss, then develop, then review, test, uh, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, it's like the cycle of this kind of whole thing. And so what the sprint should be is given, you know, X amount of stories with story point, X amount of story points, you should be able to accomplish all of those within one sprint. Um, given development, given QA, given QA, bringing things back to development to fix going through what is called the owner review. If it's sort of like this larger facing feature. So the design team looks at it or, uh, you know, one of the co-founders of the company look at it, make sure that it's the way that everything should be basically just making, yeah, making sure so that's the milestones whatever. that I kind of brought up earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Making sure those are in line and just going through two weeks and yeah, like you define what you're going to do within those two weeks, I suppose. And you sort of intentionally limit yourself to that and at the end of the sprint, in theory, you should have everything done. And if you don't, then those get moved to the next sprint. And if you don't have enough, then generally we'll just pull stories in because we've sort of overachieved in that two weeks, more or less, if that makes sense. Got it. Uh, Jira yeah. and their epic stories sprints. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I having lived it for like two years, like it seems like there's like a lot of mental overhead with it, but really what it ends up being to me is like, I look in Jira in the sprint, just there it's, it looks like a Trello board. There's an open uh, column and I look at a bug or a story and grab it and start working with it. And I don't really worry about the rest basically, if that makes sense. So, so going, going deeper into the terminology, black hole uh you mentioned columns uh and i think this is one that i can actually talk a little bit about yeah uh, so these columns are part of a kanban board right yeah okay they're so, like trello uh, or whatever yeah. they all look the same i'm sure yeah so I, I can talk a little bit about what on earth a kanban board is uh so once upon a time a white person went to japan and they were amazed by the productivity <laughs> and they realized what is this and they said oh this is our kanban board um where we kind of organize things into columns and we shift along the columns as we get things done um and they're like oh we're gonna bring that idea to uh to uh, our our company as well so uh they essentially pitched to their higher-ups in uh using uh terminology from another language uh which i will mm -hmm. translate literally here uh we want to use a sign to work more effectively because that's what nice. kanban means it's a billboard or a sign uh so there's no like special Japanese art of doing work. It's just, this is like how you work effectively and you use a whiteboard <laughs> uh, to like organize things. Uh, yeah. And apparently that was such a novel technique that the, that local white person was um, very amazed. Um, and I'm assuming it's a white person because who else would it be at this point? Uh, but yeah, yeah <laughs> this is, this is how things, how things propagate. Uh, so we, we now have these things called Kanban boards, which we're just basically saying this is a billboard, but in Japanese. Um, uh, and that is where we post, uh, things into columns and these columns can at their simplest, in their simplest form, be like to do in progress and then done. 
Uh, yeah. So you have a bunch of things in to do. And as you say, I'm going to work on this, you move it into in progress. And now no one, no one else is going to work on it because you said you're going to work on it. And then you can move it from in progress to done when you're satisfied with it. Uh, and then things just accumulate and done, I guess. I don't know. Um, until they fall off the whiteboard, then you're done. Um, <laughs> I guess that's, that's a downside of us making, like using technology for this is there's no limited space to focus. Like it's just an endlessly scrolling list. So then you're like to do becomes endlessly scrolling. You're in progress yeah. becomes endlessly scrolling. Like you, there's no like rigidity in saying, no, let's stop here. Um, and, and like, focus on what exactly is on this board for everyone's eyes to see. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's maybe a part of like the sprint is you like you have a board, but it's, you only see the things within the sprint. Um, so when you finish a sprint after two weeks or whatever, you, you get a new board basically. And you, that, in that way, I think you are limiting yourself. You if that makes sense. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but like, to be clear, like, when we, uh, the things that we put in that board are from the backlog. And so that's what that backlog room is for is to, you know, sort of curate what we're going to do and then move those things into that sprint. And then that becomes the open board. And then, you know, we've got like developing ready for review, um, which is, which means there's a pull request. Um, then once that's accepted, ready to build and, that just means it's ready to be put into like a test flight build. We have, we put out test flight builds so often, um, and then ready to test when it's in a test uh, uh, a build, and then either owner review if it needs it, and then done. So, a little more like complex, but effectively it's it's the same thing. But I think that's kind of the nice thing is it it is sort of limited in scope to that sprint. So we're not looking at this giant like open to do of like literally thousands of tickets and also the done column kind of shows what's actually done within the sprint okay that, that makes a lot more sense and it's probably a lot more useful um so uh let, yeah i i think i'm gonna now like take a moment to go over how like now that i know you all your terminology i'm gonna take a moment to go over yeah. how i generally see the projects that i'm working on uh get like planned out and completed um cool. and then i will try to sprinkle in this new found terminology that i have in all three <laughs> different uh like contexts that i know them to be used and then we can go from there in terms of like deciding if this this is working out for us or not uh cool. so um yeah i think github has like a few a few differing terminologies they have like iterations i think and that's the those are the sprints like as like a part of their projects. new projects yeah yeah it's been a hot minute since i looked at github projects sorry i have a there we go that's going away there's a truck by um yeah it basically i mean from the little that i've used and of course you'll be able to um tell more about it but it basically just seems like a more or less the same thing that you can do yeah let but me let me I don't pull one off the technology yeah so it looks like they've got tables and a board which would be sort of like that kanban board um a backlog feature yeah yeah so they've they've more or less copied jira and i only say copy because i assume 
I'm almost positive that Jira's been around longer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is called an iteration. That's like these milestones, which GitHub okay. also uses the term milestone, but that's for their old style projects and the new stock projects use iterations. Um, cool. Uh, so yeah, let, let me go ahead and, and give a, a good outline of like what we go ahead and do. Um, and then maybe that can inspire some people uh, to uh, to like change how they how they work and maybe be more effective and maybe declare bankruptcy on their current system and throw away the whole backlog in the process. Um, I don't I won't judge. Uh, that, that's kind of the purpose. That's kind of the reason why there are so many uh, different bug trackers right mm -hmm. it's because they make themselves available to you so that we can switch to them when when things get untenable um that's and right then you can, absolutely and then you can start fresh uh without <laughs> without any any uh deep-rooted uh like dark dreams that keep resurfacing and that you need to like change the eno change the eno yeah yeah Enum okay may all not right, exist right. anymore but change I the eno i see you i see you <laughs> so yeah uh, or or maybe the easier ones like stop using Objective C, upgrade to Swift, upgrade. Yeah, to Yeah, we don't <laughs> look, man. We only, yeah. I, if the, if yeah yeah never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everything I would say starts at um, like a project planning session. So we have we have our app right. Um, and mm -hmm. we need to go ahead and add a brand new like feature to it. Um, this is something that someone may have thought up of, uh, and it is something that didn't necessarily get planned at all. It's just like it would mm -hmm. be really cool if our app uh, had this like piece of content or this screen um, or this functionality, and it doesn't really have anything like it yet. Yeah. Um, so. Our design team would generally start by making a design sketch of like what it could look like um, mm -hmm. as best as they can uh, figure out the details. And it will iterate through that, maybe go through a few layers of prototyping to see like what looks nice and what behaves well. Um, and once that's done, uh, like towards the end of that, an engineer will be brought on to like basically say, no, this is impossible with the current uh -huh. set of APIs. Uh, this would take us three years to develop. Uh, all that yada yada yada. Make sure that like pie in the dry, pie in the sky. Like, oh, it'd be really cool if we use machine learning to like tell if the user is happy before they see the screen. Like, make sure that doesn't sneak in uh, uh -huh. because you can you can <laughs> prototype uh, like to your heart's content after that. But if that key piece is impossible, then no point. Uh, so uh, that was not a real example, by the way. So don't don't feel like I'm revealing any any secrets by saying that uh that was just some <laughs> some wackadoodle idea that i came up with so uh after the designers basically come up with a more or less complete idea that needs to be developed uh developers will be brought on board to create an engineering sketch which will go ahead and detail in technical terms how to achieve like mm. this uh it will go over perhaps some of the, the points that the designers didn't necessarily think of, like more edge cases, what's going to happen in this situation or that situation. How do we need to change our approach to satisfy like those different things? Um, and at that point, uh, we currently are using a tool called Linear, but you can basically use any tool for this. Uh, we will create a project for that feature. Um, so I believe this would be what you call an epic. Um, this is what... 
where you'll basically link both the design sketch and the engineering sketch um, that have gone through like a, a fair, fairly good review process with the members of the team who are going to be involved. Um, and that is where uh, you will essentially dump all the work uh, that needs to be done. It's, it's going to go in that project. Uh, now, we specifically do not use dates because dates are uh, not useful with development because there are many unknowns and many engineering challenges to tackle and dates just uh, rush uh, things that are not necessary rather than focusing on what is necessary. And there's a different technique that we use to focus only on the things that are necessary and not on the things that are unnecessary. Um, so we do not need time to be that limiting factor. Um, and I'll go into that in a little bit. Um, but uh, the the first thing we do uh, after after uh, the project is created and we have that end sketch um, is whoever is in charge of that project, which is decided uh, arbitrarily or based on who was interested in doing it, uh, that person will go ahead and start by creating milestones that make sense for delivering user value. Um, so these would be your sprints, I believe. Um, so rather than starting like backwards and just making a sprint based on a time like range of like two weeks, uh, we will start by making these milestones based on what we think we can deliver to customers. Um, and uh, those milestones will be essentially grouped by idea. So uh, let's say, I don't know, I need a I need an example project now and I didn't think of one ahead of time. Uh, so let's say I want to make an app that uh, can... Uh, use machine learning to uh, automatically figure out what the number is on your electrical meter. You know, those little spinning dials that go in every uh, which way direction. Uh, so I'll use that as an example for this. And uh, our project is essentially we need to make a thing that will read those, uh, those numbers. So uh, we have a library of images ready because we've been doing this in our spare time for no good reason at all, just to make sure LADWP is not overcharging us. This is a real thing that I do. Um, and we take pictures every morning of the electrical meter, right? Um, and uh, we need to go ahead and essentially massage this data. We need to uh, learn how to parse it and then eventually get to a point where we can pump out a number, right? That's our, our overarching like goal. So uh, we might make a milestone of, hey, we need to massage the images and start cropping out the little dials, right? And tagging them appropriately. Um, the second milestone would be probably, uh, let's make a model uh, that can go ahead and uh, start reading numbers out of each individual dial. Uh, then we'll make another milestone of, let's go ahead and take a picture and get a number out of that to give us the, the kilowattage uh, that has been like recorded or is currently uh, shown on the on the meter, uh, and then the fourth milestone might be let's build a UI to show a table of this over time, and a fifth milestone might be uh, let's go ahead and build a UI to uh, like bring it all together, take a picture, have it be inserted in the table, um, and essentially show those records. So uh, each individual thing will deliver essentially a new feature to the user. Uh, but it's all part of like a cohesive thing that we want to do all together. We might have more milestones down the line of like, uh, we need notifications to remind the user to take a picture. Otherwise, the whole app is useless. Um, and we might also have a milestone where we show graphs and charts 
that show usage over time. Um, but both of those things are separated into milestones that we might decide are not appropriate, right? We might decide that, hey, by the time we get to this point, we might change our mind. We may not want those notifications or we may not want those charts. We might have a different idea in mind. Um, and finally, at the very end, we have a milestone X called cleanup. Um, and this is where any like tech debt that we accumulate along the way will immediately go. So that way we make sure that if we can't finish a task in a PR, uh, we can still prioritize getting it in, but we also record that we didn't write tests for it um, or we uh, left out a few to-dos along the way. Um, and those will all go in that cleanup bucket. Um, doesn't mean they'll be ignored. It just means that we are recording along the way and therefore not forgetting and not just keeping it in our mind, but everyone's mind uh, that this needs to kind of get done. Um, so uh, once it's separated into milestones, we'll go ahead and focus on each milestone um, and make sure that there's some user value associated with it. So for instance, I earlier described we had a milestone for like reading the dials and then a separate milestone for reading the dials from the image. Uh, maybe that's one milestone because from the user's point of view, it's the same same thing at the end of the day. And we're not like really like focusing on prioritizing our ability to check things off. We want to essentially check things off for the user. So uh, we'll go ahead and combine those milestones or we might say like, hey, uh, this other milestone is actually two milestones. Let's split it into two kind of thing. Um, so uh, all of that will happen after someone like actually does some basic work to separate out, the, out those milestones. And we basically design the process around designing the product, if that makes any sense. So we are putting some effort in there uh, to make sure that we are architecting things and not just letting them happen haphazardly. Um, because this allows us to focus on exactly what is needed to get that done and not necessarily uh, do a whole lot of yak shaving, which is a fun term uh, where you go to like do more work than is absolutely necessary. Uh, and you start to get lost in the weeds and then start shaving yaks at the end of the day, which had nothing to do with what you were originally uh, set out to do. So um I'll, I'll leave that analogy for another time because it's, it's a pretty funny one, but I need to look it up to, to get the, the full story back in my head. Um, but uh, once we have these milestones, we now want to separate them out into tasks. So we go into each milestone and we prioritize a list of tasks that need to happen based on our best guess as far as like what is necessary. So for instance, um, that, that uh, machine learning part, there are... Uh, a number of tasks I can think of off the top of my head. We need to crop those circles. We need to make a model that will go ahead and uh, take the circles and find them in an image. So that way we can auto crop them in the future. Um, we don't necessarily want to spend all our time manually cropping uh, photos. Uh, then we want a separate model that will take those crop circles and derive a number out of them. But first we might need a model that will tell us, hey, is it going clockwise or counterclockwise? Because that's going to change the number that's interpreted, right? Um, so that's going to be a separate, uh, a separate machine learning model. And then we might need a third that finally gets the number based on either it's clockwise or it's counterclockwise. It will kind of determine it automatically. And, uh, th those are d separate tasks that we might have in that machine learning magic task. And it basically demagifies it, right? It turns it into concrete engineering things that can happen, um, along the way and, uh, sets, sets up a list of priorities of like which ones should be focused on first. Um, I like to go the extra step and also set up dependencies 
between these different tasks. And I try to split them up such that they can be as paralyzable as possible. So uh, to use the term that we used before, uh, to make sure that they are as atomic as possible, like uh, as fine-grained as possible um, and as detailed as possible. So we can go ahead and list out in words like exactly what we expect out of these tasks. Are there going to be tests? What are the inputs? What are the outputs? Uh, what do we expect to happen? What is out of scope? Um, and this way, anyone could then work on it. And we've kind of done the hard work for everyone. So that way, it's just a simple matter of going through um, and building something. Um, so these tasks would be the stories, uh, as I understand them. Um, so uh, I think I use most of most of the terminology that I learned today. Um, and now we have a project full of milestones and each of those milestones full of tasks. Um, and all those tasks are ordered by priority, meaning the ones at the top are the most important. Um, and we've made sure at this point that we only schedule tasks that are necessary for each of those milestones, right? We didn't mm -hmm. sneak anything extra in um, and everything that uh, we discovered along the way, we might insert into those milestones, we might not. Um, and that kind of happened afterwards. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it, I, I mean, I definitely don't profess to think that my the, the way that we do it is, is the best way. And um, it's just, you know, I literally, I've only been there for two years, and they've been doing this mm -hmm. for like a decade. So I'm just like, this is what we do. Um, but I think ultimately, we're, we're accomplishing the same goal of trying to narrow i mean the whole point of of whatever these development cycles are whether it's two weeks for me or however basically you you're just determining it sounds like what you want to work on is you're just trying to prioritize things and that's that's kind of the whole goal and then make it um easily digestible for the development process and uh, what i mean by that is like both writing the code but also like you said developing uh the designs and just this this whole process of going from like this idea to you know having it come to fruition and actually be a thing. So um, it, the way that we do it is different, but ultimately we're trying to do the same thing. And um, I think you know that kind of goes into like the team uh, aspect of it. Of you know like on when we're working on a team, there's a lot of um, how would I say it's like mental overhead, I suppose. And there's a lot of, you know, communication that needs to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and things can fall through the cracks, uh, very easily, but I think it's very different when you're like working on a team of one or two, right. When yeah. you're doing like a personal project where, uh, I know for me personally, I, basically don't plan near as much at all right mm -hmm. uh what i'll do if i i i haven't worked on like a large personal project in a while but i think i mentioned i worked on um a personal project for about a year's worth of time and that most definitely wasn't every day or anything but it was it spanned about a year and the most organized i got was making uh, a pretty basic trello board that was like to do in progress and done that was more than anything just to have a very you know succinct backlog of 
putting things somewhere so I don't forget what they are um, better than for me, like in a note or something um, in a note app and forgetting about them. So realistically, it was more like a one column board of like things that I need to get done and then moving them to done. And that was pretty much it. It wasn't near as complex, but it was enough for me to like think about like, oh yeah, I should do this or I need to do this later. And you know, that that's all it was. And that was enough for me because I was just working with myself and there was no one uh, that I needed to, there, there was no overhead of like making sure that there, the design team got this or that the testing got this. Cause I was everything, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So yeah, it's, it's a reminder for yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't really need to subdivide and subdivide and subdivide. The whole app becomes essentially that project. Um, and the whole app is essentially a sprint because there's just one, there's one cycle, um, and yeah. that's getting it done. Um, and all you need to do is make sure, oh, I don't want to forget about this. Uh, <laughs> and therefore, whether that takes the form of a to-do uh, in your code that you then search for later, perhaps, or perhaps never, uh, yep. whether that takes the form of a warning that you add to your code, so that way it like shows a little number, uh, and then that gets totally out of hand and you have 200 of them, um, whether that <laughs> takes the form of uh, adding to notes, um, whether that takes the form to adding to uh, reminders or things, um, or using GitHub to do it, or having just a Trello board. Like there are all sorts of different ways that yeah. um, you can go ahead and and do that. Um, and it really comes down to like who are you communicating with, right? If it's mm-hmm. just with yourself, then that's one thing. If you need to communicate with others, then you need to have a process to communicate effectively, as you said. Yeah, I mean, having it, you know, it's it's I guess one thing to have your own process like your own personal process and it's only you that has to deal with it and that's great but yeah as soon as you start dealing with other people you you're not all thinking in the same way and there needs to be some sort of i suppose middle ground that you both know and understand how the process works in order to make sense of this whole thing that we call software development yeah um that said like there is a lot that you can do throughout the process to better communicate with your team. Um, and that's, I think, where using these tools is most effective. Like, you can go ahead and plan everything. Uh, but if all you do is plan and then just let everyone have it, then that might not be super effective, right? Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, when I describe like, everything got planned into individual milestones and individual tasks that need to happen... Uh, that does not mean that work just starts, right? Uh, work starts by us saying, okay, we're going to start the project um, and uh, we're going to start with the first milestone, obviously. Um, and so what we're going to do is have an iteration meeting where we will go ahead and make sure that everyone is on board with all the tickets that are in that milestone. So we will go ticket by ticket and basically discuss, hey, how will you implement this? Uh, in its raw, purest form, like actually go ahead and pull out APIs and think about mm-hmm. like how you will go ahead and do this in as many details as possible. And then someone else might say, well, what about this scenario and so on right. and forth. So we have a good discussion on a ticket per ticket basis, basically implementing it without code, just like using our brains and uh, perhaps a whiteboard or in this case, like typing out notes uh, along the way. 
Um, and this is really effective because it gets everyone thinking about like how to solve uh, that problem at like a very granular level. Um, and that means that when it comes down time for us to essentially assign points to it, um, like the story points that you were you were basically describing, um, like at, at my current job, we call these tigers and dragons because tigers you can you can deal with as an individual person. Like it's a, it's a task. Uh, it's not something you want to, for the faint of heart, but we are professional tiger hunters. Uh, and uh-huh. therefore, uh, how many tigers, like, is this task? Is it one lone tiger, or is it two, is it three, or is it essentially five, eight, uh, 13, etc.? So uh, it ca- it grows in Fibonacci sequence numbers because uh, there's no real difference between eight, nine, or ten tigers, right? But there is a, a major fair. jump when it goes from eight to 13, uh, so that's why it doesn't make sense anymore to like it's sub subdivide it further from there. Uh, but if it's anything like three or more, you probably want to subdivide and conquer, right? Turn that one mm. ticket into three tickets. Um, yeah. And this is our chance to identi- essentially identify what those tigers are. Um, so those points are very real in that it's one task that we need to do. Now, a task does not necessarily mean write the thing, and then a separate task is write the tests. No, that's one thing uh, combined, but we might identify, hey, we need to touch this part of the code first, and then we need to touch this part to start using it. Those might be two tasks. Or maybe mm-hmm. we need to touch this part and this part, and once both of those are done, we touch this third part. Um, so these are two parallel tasks, right? Um, so that that uh, that scenario that I just described, we might just subdivide it into four individual tickets one someone go as fast as possible and write stub methods like we need stub methods for this we need stub methods for this and once we have stub methods like they can spend 10 minutes writing those we can fight in the pr saying hey i think it should be named this or i think it should be named that. Yeah. <laughs> um get that out of the way um and now we have uh that task done we now have three parallel tasks we have the two subcomponents and the ui that's using them that can all be written at the same time by three different people, right? Because the sub-methods are there, the UI just has to assume that these two things exist, and it can uh-huh. go ahead and write itself. Uh, right. This thing just needs to assume something is going to call it, and it can write its own tests that are appropriate to it. And this thing just needs to assume that it's going to call this thing and perhaps uh, interconnect with different parts, uh, and therefore it can have its own tests, right? Uh, so that one task just got subdivided into four, um, and that's because we all essentially voted on it, and we said, hey, I can identify four different, or three different tigers, and if we want to do this effectively, we need four people, essentially, to to kind of uh, beat them with our with our deadly sticks. Um, anything that is, like, not even a tiger, like, uh, like, you don't even need to, like, pay attention to, we call a snake, because it's something that you can just whack on the ground and be done nice. with um, in, our, in our murderous and... Uh, <laughs> adventures um and anything that is like not even at the level of tigers there's a dragon we have no idea how to deal with this dragon sure um that we will specially identify and say like hey this is something that we don't necessarily know how to deal with right now like it's a huge unknown whether there's apis that exist whether we are inventing something that has never been done before um, so we will label that as a dragon and we will essentially time box it and say like, Hey, how much time is it worth spending on de-dragoning this? Um, mm-hmm. and identifying how we can 
potentially like work around this issue that we have or prototype different things to see what will work. Um, sometimes it's a small task that, uh, or it's a small feature that would be like nice to have, but it's not super important. Time box it to a day, right? Let's let's see how far we can get in a day. If we can't, we'll just shelve all those uh, tasks right. that depend on it. Uh, or it might be something that we really really need to have, um, but there are various approaches that we might take. So we might take make a ticket for each of those approaches and time box them to a week. Uh, and say like, hey, at the end of the week, if this approach doesn't work or doesn't seem like it has any conclusion uh, that, that's possible, let's go ahead and stop that and work on the next like possibility um, and go from there. So uh, that iteration meeting uncovers as much as possible uh, very early on. Uh, so that way, uh, every member of the team can essentially jump on any ticket because we all discuss them as a group, right? Right. Um, and if anyone doesn't know anything, uh, that's their opportunity to ask during that iteration. It's like, hey, how will, will we use machine learning? And then someone can say, hey, there's this thing called CreateML, um, and you can specifically give it examples, and it can go ahead and like learn very rapidly based on a few cropped images of circles where any crop circle is, um, because it's built for that, and I played with it in the past. So if someone mentions that, then everyone else is suddenly right. more comfortable with it right if no one ever mentions that then no one ever knows like it may just be that one engineer that can work on it and no one else can mm -hmm. potentially figure it out um so uh that's that very first thing that happens um is we'll have an iteration meeting uh typically once a week and just get through as many tickets as we can um as many tickets that will fill up the week essentially um and uh that will just rinse and repeat every week until that milestone is done um, and then once that milestone is quote-unquote done, uh, then we will have something called a bug bash where everyone involved and potentially anyone else in the company who wants to try out what you've been building uh, will now uh, like join a one-hour or 30-minute session where we will essentially break as much as possible trying oh, okay. to find out what like where the loose ends are, right? Um, and we'll just log them. Some of those tickets might go back in the milestone and it's not, no longer done. Um, some of them might uh, go into future milestones. Some of them might spawn new milestones, right? They might inspire something new, but those milestones will be towards the end, which means that we might decide we don't need them and we can draw the, the shipping line earlier, right? And uh, that's kind of how uh, we can build something that is more or less ready for release without needing to have that time cap where it's like, hey, sure. it needs to be released on uh, September 12th. Uh, and September 12th is a very important date uh, because it's my daughter's birthday and I want to <laughs> be able to release it before I spend the day with her. Uh, so get to work, everyone. Uh, like that is not going to yeah. turn into shippable stuff, right? But if you go ahead and say, like, we have these milestones, these milestones are well-scoped. Like, there's no unknowns in them. All the unknowns have been flagged as dragons, and anything else has essentially been discussed to death to be well-known. Then you don't necessarily end up in that situation where things kind of slip uh, endlessly um, and never get done uh, because you're always making forward progress on just the tickets that are important. Um, and anything else you might think of can be made into a ticket first and it will be planned at the next iteration meeting to be determined if it's important enough to tackle now or maybe it goes into that cleanup bucket that ends up being dealt with after 
we ship it and then we start cleaning up as much as we can before we move on to the next thing right yeah uh, i yeah i really like that um i should clarify and i definitely not done a great explanation (laughs) of how we do it but i want to be clear with like our two-week um sprints as we call them are not like we're not releasing a new version of the app every two weeks like you'll notice a bunch of you know larger apps like they'll even say in their release notes like we release a new app every uh, a new version of the app every two weeks like they're they're on that schedule of like every two weeks it's it's just pushing whatever's there is gonna be shipped yeah Um. which is like weird and we do those two week iterations, but they're not, um, they're, I mean, we go internal many sprints. Yeah. Without releasing anything, um, you know, depending on whether it's a point release or a bug fix release or whatever. Um, so I think for us, it's more of a way of segmenting out what we want to focus on and two weeks tends to be something that's like, it's large enough in scope that there's a lot to do, but also, uh, focused, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it may be three or four or five or whatever, however many sprints we go until we release something. So in that sense, I don't think we're rushing per se as yeah. as much as like um, like probably your Facebooks or, or whoever would. Um, but I, I actually I, I do quite like the idea of not having it be time limited in, in scope. I think and you're you're very likely doing it is just finding that cutoff point which i think is kind of the whole point at least the way that we do it of the two weeks is to like if, you, if we give ourselves two weeks then it's sort of like you can we can more or less um, gauge how much we can do in two weeks if that makes sense so yeah so different approaches like but I, I think said, the goal is the same yeah kind of like what i said where we have that iteration meeting once a week uh, you just have that iteration meeting essentially once every two weeks. Um, right. And you are able to plan out ahead enough for those two weeks before anyone starts forgetting essentially what just got discussed, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like if, if you have one every month, maybe that's not going to be super useful because two weeks down the line, something be like, what were we talking about again? And then just invent their own solution um, sure. that has nothing to do with uh, what was being discussed. So uh, these are like meetings that are actually important for everyone to pay attention uh, mm-hmm. and be involved in the process because you're essentially going to be determining how something gets built and agreeing to it as a team during this point in time, right? Um, I don't know if you do these with as much detail or less detail or, uh, or even more detail. Um, that's that's separate, but from my own experience, these have been most useful when as much detail as possible has been surfaced. So if someone says, yeah, this should seem easy, but then they don't really go into details to how they would go ahead and do it, that means they didn't really think about how they would go and do it. Their brain just kind of uh, like did the, the machine learning Assumes. stuff in the background and then uh-huh. just like said, oh, this sounds like easy. They didn't actually build out the path of things to get to easy. Mm-hmm. They just said, hey, this... Uh, input and this output easy um, and therefore uh, there's not actually any engineering that went into it it's just a machine learning yeah. model at that point called our brain that's just determining it um, but it's not <laughs> necessarily super clear so uh, if you hold similar meetings I would uh, go ahead and uh, like encourage you 
not you, Spencer, but anyone listening. Uh, but I would encourage you to go ahead and uh, probe as much as possible. If you don't understand how something is going to be done, don't just assume that you were uh, you, you are like slower than everyone else and just not getting it. Um, because chances are no one is necessarily getting it. They're just using that machine learning model in their head to get to the destination, which right. although it's useful for instinctual planning, right? Uh, that's useful for when you're planning out those milestones and planning out those tickets. It's not great when you're actually discussing the ticket at hand that's going to be worked on by potentially anyone on the team, right? Uh, first one to grab it is at the top of the list, basically. Um, so that's something that you need to ask questions on and you need to get clear as much as possible. And that oftentimes involves explaining what you don't understand, which is like, oftentimes the hardest thing like everyone can remember in class when the teacher explains something and you're like i don't get it and then the teacher asks so what part don't you get and you're like i don't get it because that is uh-huh. the same thing your machine learning model just went like oh well there's this step to this step and then you kind of stop paying attention and then your machine learning model is like i don't get it um it didn't actually you didn't put the necessary amount of time and really thinking about what you don't get and that's hard right it's not easy it's something yeah. that you need to train um and and get better at right uh but being able to identify what you don't get can be very useful because then you can ask questions pertaining exactly what to what you don't get right Mm -hmm. yeah most definitely so uh yeah i i would encourage everyone to kind of if you don't follow any of these like tactics to consider like using them because they have been very useful for at least us um and if you have a completely different set of tactics like i'm more i would love to hear uh so tweet at us at code completion uh (laughs) and let us know because like this is not the only way to do something right um there are tons and tons of different ways of being effective at like planning out a project um and some optimize for different goals sometimes those dates they're non-negotiable right so you need to have a way of like working around them as much as possible and uh, knowing about them early and being able to build things effectively as a result. Um, so like if that means prioritizing all the de facto necessities at the beginning and leaving polish towards the very end as sure. much as possible, that means that you can ship on that target date, whether you have the polish in or not, um, that might be the only way to go, right? Um and that's a tough decision to make because it means your product is going to suffer. Um, but it's something that you need to consider if, like, you're going to have a client and that client has a de facto date and there's no way around it, uh, right? It's it's something out of their control even. Yeah. I, a couple things. I think <clears throat> setting, like, expectations is, is a huge thing. Like, something that we've done is whenever people like on Twitter or through our support or whatever ask, you know, when is X feature going to be done? You announced it like whenever ago, um, our, our response is always, you know, it'll be, it's finished when it's finished type of thing. And we're not trying to like, uh, blindside them by not releasing the future, but we're also not trying to be beholden to some specific date, uh, for it to be done because we want it to be polished and good because like you said the product suffers it's like this weird thing where you're you're caught between a rock and a hard place where um the product suffers if it doesn't exist there but also the product would suffer if it was 
there and was either crappy, you know, crappily in- implemented or it doesn't look great and doesn't follow the same, you know, design as the rest of the app. So we just try to stay in that hard place uh, until it is able to sort of satisfy um, the, the users, basically. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, I most definitely would love to hear from other developers on like how they do their personal work because the way that I do it, I know is like not great. And I, I, this, um, this week we, in my teaching job, we, um, started doing basically planning for their capstone, personal capstone projects. So they're in this planning phase and, you know, I, I said a bunch of things like, you know, hey, use sticky notes and Sharpie markers to to design out your UI or, or do it in Sketch or whatever. And uh, basically, like, not really following or doing better than what I personally would, would do in my own personal projects because the stakes are infinitely low on my own personal projects because I, like, throw them on GitHub and they just waste away and I'm not trying to make anything off of it. Whereas for them it's like they're using it as a portfolio piece and I want them to, you know, take it seriously and, and plan things out. And also they are on a deadline where they have, I think six weeks. So this planning process, just like in our, in our own two week sprints, this planning process of taking a few hours worth of meetings ultimately helps uh, accelerate the time with which we can develop these things because they've already been fleshed out. Like Dimitri said, we already know, what APIs we're going to use. And so it'd be interesting to see how others, um, whether it is for like client work, uh, you're the only developer, but you're doing client work, or if you're just working on, you know, your own indie app, how you plan, because I know that the way that I do my own personal projects, because the stakes are so infinitely low, I just don't really care about time. It's just like, I'll do it when I want to, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, if you are on your own team of one, how do you do it efficiently, I suppose, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one one key piece to this that I would encourage everyone to to do, when especially when you are working alone, is don't forego the process of making a branch, committing like mm. good commits to that branch, making a PR, oh, yeah. and reviewing that PR yourself. Be the uh, someone in, so, you're in someone else's shoes uh, to go and look through your code Leave comments to yourself, essentially, um, and practice that muscle. Because even if you like never work on a team with others, which eventually you might, um, like that's a good ta- like that's an excellent skill to nurture um, yeah. and be great at once you do join a team. Um, but even if that never happens, that's a great point in time to one uh, limit the scope to what you're working on. Right, learn how to like focus on what's important and not necessarily go down that yak shaving path where you just kind of rewrite the whole app because one thing started bugging you so there you dug a little deeper and something else started bugging you you dig a little deeper and at the end of the day you're shaving a yak and that was not at all what you're intended to like do from the beginning so uh that is something that you don't necessarily want to happen and the only way to like realize that that's happening is to see it in your own code right um so if you have to make a branch and make a pr and your pr is un reviewable because you went through that process then you learn from that and you're like how can i be different so that way 
one, my code is reviewable because if my code is reviewable, other people are more likely to accept it. But two, if my code is reviewable, then that means that I can review it and actually catch mistakes before I merge yeah. it in permanently. Um, so the, that's, that's like a super important task that no matter where you are on this like project planning spectrum of like needing to make projects, milestones, stories, tickets, uh, sprints, whatever you call them, uh, you need to be able to like do this as a very basic level of like planning, right? Basically, because you're planning your own code and you're architecting it. Um, and that means that it might be a little hard at the beginning, but you get very good at it very quickly, uh, just by doing it a few times because you realize your own code is like ineffective to do like that basic thing. Uh, and that basic thing is tremendously useful for catching issues. So, um, whether you're renaming files, don't rename 50 files at once, like rename them little by little, uh, and then modify them separately. And then GitHub will be like, Hey, you just move these files and then change these lines. Not you deleted this file and made a new file. And it's like, who knows what got added, uh, at that point. Right. Um, so you'll learn those, those skills little by little. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't even begin to count the amount of times that I've caught something, whether it was like maybe just some comments, uh, that I forgot to remove or, something entirely uh that large something entirely large um that like before i submit a pull request i'll always look at the diff um either in bitbucket which is what we use at work or just in a diffing tool right before i like try to actually make the pr like look at the actual changes that will be submitted i've caught so many things that i'm like ah crap i just need to run back and and change those before they go in and that's a lot easier than uh, making the pull request, being like, oh, crap, making a comment saying like, hey, hold on, wait on reviewing this. I need to change some things. And it just becomes this like there's way more overhead for both you and anyone reviewing the code. Um, so, yeah. yeah, just want to mention like review your own code, whether it's in a team or not. Uh, I think that's super, super good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then uh, a last point uh, that you kind of mentioned about releasing, right, uh, is when to release things. Um, and you absolutely want to make sure that things are really released when they're ready. Because you might assume, like, hey, the feature's done. Like, the core feature's done. What's the harm of us releasing now versus later? Yeah. Well, your users might build a habit of using it in a way that you didn't intend and then once you do ship the way that you did intend, you're now upsetting all those users because they got used to the crappy way of doing it. And now you're stuck sure. because now you have to have both of those versions um, accessible. And this is how you build a Jira, right? If you look at Jira, there are 17 ways to modify user permissions. Uh, and I'm not joking. Like I might yeah. be joking with the number 17, but there's at least four that I can enumerate off the top of my head. Um, and this is... Because I have used Jira, I just refuse to go by the terminology because it makes no sense to me. Um, but like ha- being being the person I am, I also kind of get stuck like managing the 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 actual like system itself, and the system is horrible. It is the hottest pile of garbage that uh, anyone has ever laid their their software eyes onto. Um, and this is because they built it in a way where they could rapidly evolve. Anyone can jump in. They have a team of a million people, whatever. I don't care about what the reasons are. There are four ways, at least, to like change user permissions, and it's so complicated, right? Um, and this is because you shipped it one way, and then you're like, oh, we can't found a better way now. 
Uh, so we have the better way, but people are still used to the old ways. So you can't get rid of that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's this biggest convoluted can of worms uh, that you can potentially, like, ever run into. Uh, so for anyone who does like to argue, like, hey, it's finished. Let's just go ahead and release it and we'll iterate along the way. Maybe not, right? Uh, maybe do take your time to think about it to its logical conclusion first um, before you just kind of let people discover how to not use it (laughs) and get used to that. Uh, Because then you're just going to have angry customers at the end of the day, and that's not what you want. You want happy customers um, with a happy feature, and that sometimes means they need to wait a little bit. Sometimes you don't tease that you're working on something, right? That can be an effective tool or a dangerous tool, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. It's effective because it keeps people interested while you have your long development cycle, um, but it's dangerous because then they start expecting it tomorrow, right? Um, but it's less dangerous than you shipping that and then changing it on them uh, because you found something that was a deal breaker or needed to be changed because it just wasn't baked, right? And then the, the last thing I want to mention with releases is like use the beta process to your advantage, right? Um, something that we do, we don't necessarily share betas with anyone, but uh, we do have nightly test flights set up for everyone in the company to go ahead and be able to use the latest and greatest version um that uh that we have available and uh this allows us to potentially invite people who want to see that feature early right it's important to us that they get to use it because they're a client they need it right away um they understand that things are unfinished and can change um, and we verbally told them or like via an email, like, hey, this is unfinished and a lot of it can change, but we want to hear your feedback. Uh, and it's important to us that you are able to use this because you're, it's important that you are happy, right? Um, yep. So like use the beta process to your advantage for things like that, because that means you don't have to release it to everyone. You release it to two people who understand that things can, can actually go ahead and change in the process, right? Uh, so... Uh, if you can set up nightly test flights, because then you never need to think about it. It's just something that happens every night based on main. Uh, you have a test flight that is just ready. Uh, it's ready to be used. You can use Fastlane for this. You can use GitHub Actions for this. Um, it's it's really uh, open-ended. Uh, so that's that's like one thing that you should definitely set up. Another thing that I encourage everyone to set up is uh, go ahead and create a second app record. Um, and name this one like your app internal or whatnot and set up an action that every PR you make triggers a test flight based on that branch. Um, And I intentionally say make a separate app record because what you'll do is set up the version number for the app uh, to be the PR number. So you basically take your PR number and stuff that into the version field of your app before you submit to test flight. Um, And what this does is you will essentially within a few minutes of you pushing your branch or updating the code in there, you'll trigger a test flight build for that branch that you can immediately have on your phone or on your designer's phone or uh, on a client's phone and say like, hey, can you test this version? Does this version satisfy your need? Um, And this has not even been merged into main yet, right? This is a completely isolated thing uh, that can then be independently tested by QA they don't need to have Xcode. They just go ahead and uh, grab that test flight before approving the PR, for instance. Um, and that's another very good tool. Uh, like, sure, it takes like three minutes for it to deploy um, or more, depending yeah. on how complex your app is or what you're running on. Like, run a self-hosted 
like GitHub Runner because then that's way faster than the ones they provide and way cheaper, uh, it turns out as well. Um, but yeah, with that, you can go ahead and just have an instant build for anyone to go ahead and use. And then like you're in a much better place as a result of that. So uh, that's that's the second thing I would go ahead and recommend in terms of like the release push like you're technically releasing you're technically iterating with customers you're technically uh, getting all those benefits just not to everyone um and that's like a key piece of the puzzle um and this means that when you're truly ready to release you can release to everyone and have something that's finally polished but to those that are like hey you promise you said this was coming four months ago where is it i really need this you can privately talk to them and say like hey we have a beta of this do understand that things can change yada 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 um, and if they seem like a trustworthy individual that you want to be involved in your process a tiny bit, you can invite them to those individual, like maybe just the nightly betas, not necessarily the open ones, right. uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we, we do a similar thing. I, I, it's interesting that you said, um, to have a completely separate app record and we don't do that, but we do, um, we, we call it our nine, nine, nine build where it's like version nine, nine, nine. It's like. <laughs> very very different and it's basically our nightly build i don't think we do it per pr we do um um i think well i think we're both using jenkins and um xcode cloud right now i can't quite remember what what our whole process is but we have things build and you know run tests uh for every pr um and i think we we don't do that we don't do a test flight build for every pr but it's we do more or less the same thing where uh, a similar thing where uh, we have a bunch of just external and internal beta testers uh, you know of course qa is testing that before everything is kind of finished in jira but uh, we do have people you know on a, a basically a nightly beta um it's not nightly per se it's like sometimes we we have multiple uh, test flight builds go out in a day and sometimes it you know takes a couple days or whatever but similar thing um, and it's cool to get that feedback knowing having those testers external testers know it's it's very much in, in development things can change and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad I guess <laughs> yeah Our, ours is on a like strict nightly schedule and it will go ahead and post in slack like exactly the commits that got added since um and this helps like everyone know like hey what got added to the ios app um uh, and and since yesterday essentially um and uh it just does this like clockwork um every every night and this is a huge amount of like responsibility that's off our chest because this means that we can use that same build to submit to the app store um because that's it cool. is it is like our version number that we plan to ship just with a build number that just keeps incrementing every single time. Sure. Um, and this is like very useful for that specific purpose because then we don't need to worry essentially uh, that we might be shipping something um, that is like, oh, we need to make a new build just for the app store. It's like, no, that build was good. Great. Let's ship it. Um, right. And, and we have like end to end validation there. So uh, that's why we don't necessarily, that's why we specifically have a separate app record for the like PR numbers because then it's yeah. easy to find, like, hey, which PR is it? There's 50 million builds on, on the test flight. Um, uh-huh. And you just go to the PR number, and hopefully the description says, like, what the PR is. And that is something useful uh, to quickly validate that you're on the right one. But uh, for the most part, we just say, hey, look for this version. Um, and that tends to help people find it. Nice. 
Yeah. So it takes a bit of effort to get working, mm-hmm. uh, but it is so worth it once it is set up because then you just don't think about it, right? It just happens. That's fair. Um, and that's like the bliss of spending a whole bunch of time making it work uh, to begin with um, is just to have other people go ahead and use it. And you get that continuous deployment that like is so ubiquitous on web projects and stuff like that. That was a lot harder up until now um, right. to have. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be through TestFlight. You can totally host like ad hoc builds that are to mm-hmm. specific provisioning profile IDs. Like that's what TestFlight is. Um, so if you know everyone on your team, you just gather their provisioning profile IDs uh, and make an ad hoc build and host it on a server. Like you can go ahead and download those uh just fine uh you don't need enterprise or anything like that it's just keyed to specific devices and that's the end of the day uh so uh that's another great way of of doing it if you don't want to necessarily have the extra overhead of a extra app record and all that um you can make a fancy web directory that has exactly the prs or maybe post it in github directly it's like hey download it right here um so all sorts of options available to you you just have to over engineer it um, so you can make a project for that with milestones and then maybe, maybe the auto like posting to GitHub, that's a later milestone, right? But the, the key one is like make a build every night. And then the second one is make a build with every PR. And then maybe that's where you draw the line and you leave those kind of sitting there in that project. And that project kind of gets ignored, but it's still kind of organized. It's not just thrown into a giant bucket and, uh, you're expected to tell a story to your grandchildren about, uh, this epic of when, when, uh, Spencer once, uh, wrote a line of code. Um, and he was running a lot and he was very athletic, uh, and agile. Um, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Doing backflips. Doing backflips, switching from one desk to another, working on two different things at two different times. Um, yeah. Yeah. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's Hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose, to tell you all about your favorite restaurants. It will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another option are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y on the App Store today to give it a try. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. So I have a extra special uh, commented out. Uh, and I have a question for you, Spencer. Have okay. you played a lot with Lego? Uh yes as a kid so i never decade 
hot decade. Uh, so I have never really played with Lego as a kid. I, I always had Connects, which are like the non okay. the non Lego alternative, where you have like rods yeah. and these clicker things and destroyed thumbnails from just like trying oh, to man. get the I, yeah. little tiny ones in that octagon one. You know yep. the feeling. Like I think oh. every. There's like certain like 90s kids like pain points that we all had because no one I <laughs> guess realized how much kids were injuring themselves with their toys. Uh, one is a Nintendo 64 like doing yep. this motion to like uh, inflate a boo in Super like uh, in Mario Party. Mario Party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was like all an experience that everyone who had a Nintendo 64 they all had the same blister. Um, yep. Unified experience that we all realized once we were in our 20s that everyone else had. Uh, and I guess another one that I just realized Spencer also had is you have the Oxagon Connect shape and you have the little tiny oh, yeah. ones and you've Those got them all in rods. there and then trying to like get them out, impossible. Um, so Awful. yeah, uh, I did not necessarily grow up to like all that. All of that is to say, uh, I did not grow up to, with Lego, uh, very much. Like I had one Lego set, which was of a house, uh, like the OG Legos that were just like, these are bricks and you actually build a brick house. Um, who would have thunk? Uh, so that was when I was like three and distant, distant memory, never really played with that much. Had a lot more fun, uh, with connects building like crossbows and stuff, dangerous things, mm-hmm. um, you know, children. Um, nice. but, uh, recently there were, there were a few Lego sets that like really piqued my interest. Um, so I bought them and they just kind of sat on a shelf for like a year and a half. Uh, and I finally put one of them together and I just need to show this to you. Because it is so freaking cool. It's oh, the best one. Oh, that is so cool, dude. Yeah. Uh, so it comes with a little controller. Uh, the buttons don't oh, move right. or anything. This is just like... Uh, yeah, it's Lego. Uh, yeah. But this is an actual plug that like plugs in. It has like little things so that kind cool. of attach. So let me remove this. I can give you a tour of the rest of it. Uh, you have your audio and video. Uh, and in the back, you have like your power, your RF switch, and all the little knickknacks that were part of it, right? So cool. So this is a hefty block of plastic, but uh, it does have some secrets. So you can go ahead and open it, click the little thing, and out comes oh my... a cartridge. <laughs> There's a full That's mechanism inside so cool. to lock the cartridge in, so you can put the cartridge back in, and I'll let the satisfying click. It's just like Thank the NES, dude. That's so sweet. Oh, shoot. You get a little cartridge of Super Mario Bros. in this case. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's Super Mario Bros. because uh, over, I think, on this side, uh, there's actually like a little secret that I didn't even realize this building. I was like, why are there so many colors on the inside of this thing? And if you remove this piece, you get a little, a little uh, warp zone uh, underground kind of set That's mock-up. Sweet. It's just a little piece that just goes on top. And I'm like, that is cool. I didn't know Legos had, like, secret compartments and stuff. I should have gotten to this way, way earlier. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this is a, the Nintendo Entertainment System Lego thing uh, that I love uh, it. Lynn and I got raptured into, enraptured into uh, building and having a lot of fun putting this together. So, uh, yeah. But that is... Oh, I lost the stand comes with a little stand too it's not a nice uh but that comes with uh this wonderful little television set um which has a nice little antenna Antenna. because you need to like get the rf frequency just right and tap it on the side um Mm -hmm. 
And on the front, you have a screen. Um, and this has a few features. This this guy makes some noise oh. as you as you rotate it back and forth. This is the low tech uh, model, as you can see from the from the back. It also says low tech color TV receiver. Um, and the coolest 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 part of this is it has a little crank. Which if I yeah, dude, in the right direction, that's so cool. Has Mario oh just like gosh. going through the level. Um, and you can do the do 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 so, yeah. I love it. Uh, this has been so fun to build. So me, who has not had Lego growing up, uh, did not expect Lego to be this completely wacky and fun. And I think it's like modern Lego, so I, I don't think I was oh, yeah. that much. No, I was um, just going to say, there, when I was a kid, Lego like that did not exist for sure. So yeah, but this was... that is... Man, they're hitting everyone in the nostalgia, man. They, I, we sent a link to uh, Ben, who is like way into Lego. There was, I think, an Atari. Was that the new thing? Yeah, that, that might that might be a box that is in one of my rooms waiting to be assembled oh, next. Oh, shoot. Uh, okay, so all right. We immediately started building the next uh, thing, which I guess I'll, I'll wait for the next episode of this to show it off. Um uh, so we'll have that one done soonish, unless we like completely lose interest, which is t- completely possible. Um, yes. But if we don't lose interest and we finish it, I'll show it off next time. Uh, and nice. then the Atari will probably be after that. So. Sweet, yeah. I uh, as a kid, you know, it was like I'd get Lego sets, and they were just station, you know, static stationary things. But they all ended up in this, you know, giant. They're probably what happened to everyone—a giant bucket. But uh, I ha- I did get one Lego set that was like this castle, and so it came with this base, right? This like green base that you could build a moat and stuff. And anyway, ended up using that a ton. But yeah, Legos were definitely as a kid uh, a part of the a part of the the memories, and of course the the classic stepping on the legos and just absolutely destroying your feet because of it <laughs> i mean we destroyed our hand just assembling that thing so i don't want to think Ooh. about the feet um yeah. and yeah i have just... i have one one grievance uh there are so many pieces involved with like every step in assembling these things like one lego company please like wash out the color of the pieces that were like part of like the last step so you can see exactly what you need to add that'd be good Th- that's that's like one point of uh they should do uh and two why are you including so many extra little pieces like have a separate bag with the extra pieces if you really need to include mm-hmm. extra pieces because now we're terrified that we like miss 17 steps <laughs> because there are yeah, like 17 yeah, yeah. small pieces like what did we miss and sometimes we did miss a few steps because they're not clearly pointed out uh so uh yeah uh as a first person looking at lego maybe that's the that's the charm is it turns into a you know those those newspaper puzzles where it's like two images and spot the difference it's you mm-hmm. play spot the difference on the two pages like what is new between this page and this page and that's how you know like where to put the pieces um so yeah minor grievances there i guess it turns into a puzzle and it forces your brain to think who knows yeah. uh, i just wanted to fast forward through that part though. <laughs> well they need a, a story that's like as a lego builder i need a separate uh bag for all of this the spare parts they need to get on that that uh, agile workflow, baby. Just kidding. 
Okay, and that's all I got. Um, all right. So well, I'm to... excited to see the the other Lego sets that you definitely. They're a lot smaller build. than I thought they would be. I was imagining these ginormous things I wouldn't be able to put anywhere, and therefore like yeah. would have to deconstruct. But no, these are totally bite sized. Can definitely be put on a shelf. Um, nice. So, yeah. How many pieces was it? I don't know. Does it say on the box? Yeah. I will be right That's, that's always the, the fun. I can look it up. That's okay. Okay. Uh, cool. Titles? Once upon a time, white person. <laughs> we are professional tiger hunters. 2,600 pieces. Yeah, it was a lot. There were two books, which meant we can divide and conquer uh, until one yeah. of us finished our books, and then we had to, like, Squee- huddle over one and work on it together which was eh. one person kind of found the pieces and the other person assembled and uh-huh. therefore we made sure we didn't miss any uh yeah. so it wasn't that bad but yeah it, it's cool, definitely though. easier when there are two books <laughs> assemble different parts and combine your efforts oh, dude man they must have taken like an entire tree to uh, i bet the book is like that thick man yeah dang lots of pulp uh, did you know trees are made of like paper is made of bark not trees. Like you grow these very oh, thin little trees, that, actually, um, and you peel off the bark, and that's what makes really most paper. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. So that's why that's why they're that... able to grow them year over year. It's like you're not cutting down a whole tr- ginormous fifty year old tree for paper. Not they effective. just flatten out the bark, or or, yeah, or pulp I guess it up. not even really flatten. Yeah, pulp it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. I guess that makes sense that you're you're saving like the wood wood for like logging like actual yeah building materials or whatever interesting oh i didn't know that um i don't know any any of those titles are good (laughs) i've got this one it's probably most conducive to what we talked about yeah gotta optimize our seo get that seo yeah that kind of stuff. I'm like, Ugh, I don't care. Got to grow a brand. Yeah, get that, get that brand recognition. Okay, bye everyone. Okay. Bye.